Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. And if you're a dad, I hope that you, I hope that you love being a dad as much as I do. I love being a dad. I was blessed with two of the most amazing girls uh, in the world. I really was. I really have been blessed. Uh, I got to share the stage with Emily this morning. Couldn't be any sweeter for me than to be up here on Father's Day and to look and and to have my daughter uh, up here, uh, being a part of the team, and uh, that's a, that's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, I'm just I'm just blessed. They're they're amazing. Honestly, for me on Father's Day, uh, the thing I want to celebrate is my kids. I want to celebrate my girls. I'm not, I I do not take for granted the relationship that we have. And the conversations that we have and the things that they share with me. There are times when I say, you don't have to tell me everything. I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that you know that you can, but you don't have to tell me everything. But it's a sweet, it's a sweet relationship. And so if, if, that's, that's my wish for you as a dad, uh, is that you could experience being a dad, uh, what I get to experience being a dad. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> All right. Let's straighten up. Ready? So today I want to talk specifically to the men, and I I want to talk to the men about a a subject that's really, really dear to my heart. I want to talk to you about being a warrior. In fact, I almost almost titled the message when it's time to throw the first punch. But I didn't think, here's my wife, she's at the first service, I thought she'd probably look at me like, honey. So I, I didn't do that, I wanted to, but I didn't do that. But let me just say... That women, ladies, you're going to be included too. Because some of the most valiant warriors that I've ever known in my life literally have been women. In fact, sometimes, you know, when I think about that warrior mentality, most of the time, quite honestly, I do think about women. I was raised, my dad died when I was 10, so I was primarily raised by my my mom. And my mom was a warrior. Old school, you know, Southern Baptist, they would have said she was a prayer warrior. Y'all with me? And so literally, I, my mom fought hell itself for me. And on those nights when I was out in the stuff that I didn't have any business and coming in at the early hours, late hours of the morning, you know, uh, my mom, I, the reason I made it home safe, I believe, so, many, so much of the time was because of her, 
for prayer. So ladies, I just want you to know that, uh, that I honor you as well this morning. And that um, I hope that some of the things that, that we'll be able to share today is going to be for you as well. But this morning, I want to talk a little bit more spe- specifically to men <clears throat> because I really think there's a lot of confusion today on, on what, it is to be, what it means to be a man. <clears throat> and I say today, maybe there's always been confusion about really what it means to, to be a man. And in particular, a Christian man. It's, it's been known for years that if you look at the volunteers in a church, there's about 80% are women. Wow. And I don't remember growing up in a church that really taught men how to be men. So today I want to talk about that a little bit. I mean, are we supposed to be powerful, confident, authoritative? Or are we supposed to be gentle? Are we supposed to be strong or are we supposed to be vulnerable and show our weaknesses? And I think to add to the confusion, quite honestly, thank you. I think to add to the confusion, quite honestly, when, when I was growing up, the church Really, when it looked at Jesus, I mean, Jesus was really portrayed as kind of meek and mild. Um, In fact, almost wimpy. I I really, I mean, for the bigger part of my growing up years, I really thought that Jesus was probably a man that was very small in stature. You know what I'm talking about? That he was probably very thin, very soft-spoken. That when he spoke, I mean, you had to lean in because it was almost a whisper. That's kind of what I grew up thinking about, about Jesus. And he was almost a wimpy man. He was really good with sheep and children. (coughs) (coughs) What'd you put in this water? (coughs) And Jesus was full of mercy. He was full of grace. He was full of love. And he was tender. But do not misunderstand another side of Jesus. Jesus was a warrior. He was courageously brave. And he knew how to fight the good fight. Jesus knew when to throw the first punch. That'll be a little controversial, won't it? And so, gentlemen, Jesus was a warrior. And I believe that God has created us to be warriors because we have been created in his image. So let's just look, let's just begin to look at, at, at our Heavenly Father, and then we'll look at Jesus to kind of lay a foundation for us to understand really maybe a different aspect of God than maybe you've ever thought about before. First of all, let me just say this, you cannot put God in a box. How many of you were raised Baptist? How many of you were raised Presbyterian? How many, how many of you were raised Methodist? How many of you weren't raised anything? Awesome. For those of you who weren't raised anything, guess what? Those of us who were raised in some type of of denomination have been raised with God somewhat being in a box that there's only certain things that God can and cannot do. Let me say right out of the gate, you cannot put God in a box. 
He's bigger than that. And if you ever think that you can fully understand God, then that's not a God that I want to serve. You can't figure God out. He's bigger than we are. He is your rock and he is your fortress. He's your buckler. He's your shield. And my heavenly father is also a warrior. Exodus 15, verse 3. The Lord is a warrior. Come on, man. Give it to me. God is a warrior. So some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 okay, God of the Old Testament. You're thinking Old Testament stuff, and you're thinking, man, I'm telling you what, life was cheap in the Old Testament. How many of you have been a little bit afraid to even read the Old Testament because there's big names, it's hard to pronounce, but more than that, God was like angry a lot in the Old Testament. That's what I grew up thinking, that God was angry in the Old Testament, that God's wrath was harsh in the Old Testament, that his judgment was swift in the Old Testament. And really, when you begin to look at the Old Testament, you'll see God, if you really read it, you'll see God differently than maybe what you think or who who you think that he might be. So some people say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. What about God of the New Testament? Even Jesus, who was full of mercy, grace, and compassion, could absolutely put up a fight. Jesus, this just sounds weird saying it. I mean, I've been saying it for weeks. It's been in my head, but to say it out loud to you, Jesus knew how to fight. That sounds wrong. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is the words of Jesus. Don't you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Have mercy. You don't hear that a lot on Sunday morning, do you? (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a, a harsh verse, so much for Jesus being meek and weak. So there's a time to fight. There is a time. Listen to me, man. There is a time for us to be warriors. There's a time for us to know In fact, there's this really, really cool, powerful, almost cocky story of Jesus in Luke 4. I love this story. It's an amazing story. It's a, it's a story when, he was t- when Jesus was teaching in Nazareth. And, and Luke says this. He says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard, when they heard this. So, so Jesus <clears throat> knew how to really teach. If, if there was a group of people that he made angry, it was always the religious crowd. If there's anything that I've learned over the years, the people that I have mostly made angry over the years has been a religious crowd. Unchurched people embrace the truth. Churchy religious people will get angry. When it, when they get angry when you say something about God that appears to be the God that's outside their box. Because they're more comfortable with God being inside of a certain box. So these people got upset. So they got up, drove him out of the town... And they took him up to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. Man, these people are, these people are angry. But he walked right through the crowd and he went, his, he went on his way. So Jesus parted the crowd. Now, I did a little bit of study. I tried to do a little bit of research to find out how did he do it. We're not sure. We don't know exactly how he did it. But here's the thing. Jesus allowed this crowd to push him to a certain point. And then Jesus said, enough is enough. Now, Jesus was a carpenter. So I don't know. Maybe that day he had on a sleeveless robe. I I don't know. 
And so maybe he threw up a double bicep. You know, maybe he said, boys, let me introduce you to grace and truth. I don't know. Maybe it was the look that he had in his eye. You know what? I mean, Jesus, could you imagine looking in the eyes of Jesus? I have no earthly idea what it was, but what I do know is that when Jesus took a stand, people backed away. And ultimately, Jesus fought and won the most important battle in human history when he gave his life on the cross. He defeated death, hell, sin, and the grave. It's awesome. And this is what it's going to look like when he returns. Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open, and before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice. He judges and does what? I told you he was a warrior. I told you. He's going to come back as a warrior. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Have mercy. Hello. And a name, his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but when a man who was crucified and put on a cross and was raised on the third day comes back riding a white horse, with his robe dipped in blood and a sword in his mouth. I want to be on his team, don't you? I mean, I'm just saying. That's going to get people's attention, right? Some people are going to say, ooh, what happened to the meek, mild little Jesus? He's a warrior. And as men, we've been created in his image to be warriors. And I believe that God has given every, every man at least two assignments. There's at least two things that we can embrace as warriors. Number one, God has given every warrior someone to protect. God has given every warrior someone to protect. I love the words of, of Nehemiah. Well, some of you don't know who Nehemiah is. And, and, and I love that I'm using Nehemiah, and I'll tell you why. Because Nehemiah, he was a guy in the Old Testament. In fact, there's a book written, Nehemiah. And, and just so you know, Nehemiah, he, Nehemiah was a, a layperson. He had a secular job. He wasn't a prophet or a priest. I think that is crucial to the story. That he was an average Joe. Are you, are you with me? He was a guy who got up, put his pants on, went to work every day, just like you. And so he served the Persian king in a secular position before leading a group of Jews to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Now some of you are thinking, okay, so what, what was wrong with the walls of Jerusalem? Why do they need to be rebuilt? Well, one of the things I love about the Old Testament is, is, is it's like a roller coaster with God's people. You know, sometimes they're up here, they just love God. God's so good. 
And then, and then they, I don't, they fall off the truck. I don't know what happens to them. They see another God. They think he's better. And so then they nosedive, and they want to serve another God. And, and so it's just this constant roller coaster. It's this constant roller coaster of loving God, hating God, serving God, not serving God. It's a constant roller coaster. And what happens in that roller coaster is there are times when you think God's being mean. God just said, okay, if that's what you boys want, it, fine. Have at it. If you think there's another God that's stronger, bigger, more powerful than I am, well, then just go see. I'm going to let you have your way. And so he allowed a group of people called the Babylonians, he allowed literally the Babylonians to, to come in and take names and kick not just spiritual rear end, but he, they kicked physical rear end, and they were in captivity for over 70 years. And then the Babylonians destroyed the walls of the holy city. Now that, you know, you think, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's more than just the physical walls. For these people, these walls represented God's protection. That's what you have to understand. So when the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, it's more than they just, now we don't, we're not protected by these incredible walls. It's more than that. Now God's hand is not on us anymore. So Nehemiah's job is to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. So when Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls, and the enemies tried to stop the work of God by threatening their lives. And so Nehemiah, he has kind of this brave heart moment. So he stands up before the people and he says to everybody, he says, don't be afraid of them. Don't, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And notice what he says, fight for your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight. Fight for your homes. There is a time to throw the first punch. <clears throat> there is a time when we, as men created in the image of God, should fight for our families. Are y'all out there? Men, we'll fight about the dumbest things, but we don't fight about the things that matter sometimes. There's ever a time in our nation's history when godly men need to be fighting for their families just now. And can I be honest with you? I mean, it, it, it's, it's always that we as adults want to throw off on the teenagers, you know? Well, teenagers today, I'll just tell you. I don't think the problem is with our teenagers today. I think our, the problem is with godly people who haven't taught, haven't poured into, haven't invested, haven't fought for their kids. We've just become passive. Here's what I know. You don't have to be six foot, four inches tall. Weigh 275 pounds with 22-inch biceps to fight. You don't. You can be small in stature. You can be gentle by nature. But if someone threatens to hurt somebody you love, you're willing to fight to the death. I'm telling you, it's inside of you. A few years ago, both of our girls uh, moved away. And it was tough on Karen and I uh, for the first few days. <laughs> and then it got sweet. <laughs> we could walk around the house naked. I'm just kidding. Well, kind of. I'm sorry, baby. I'll clean that up. Um, 
But here's the weird thing that happened when our girls moved out. When our girls moved out, Emily moved out first. Katie moved out two or three months later. And when our girls moved out, my wife looked at me one night and she said, Honey, did you lock the door? I said, What? She said, Did you lock the door? I said, Honey, we've never locked the door. We don't, she and I, neither one had a key to the house. We can't lock the door. We'll lock ourselves out. Uh, we're on the inside. She said, honey, I think we need to lock the door. Now, we didn't lock the door at night for, for a good reason. is because our girls both worked, always worked. When they were old enough to go get a job and go to work, they got a job and they went to work. And so sometimes they would come in at, at 12 o'clock, you know, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. And when they did, we wanted to make sure that the light was on. They didn't have to fumble with the key. They could just come right in the house. Suddenly, our girls are gone. My sweet wife said, baby, I think it's time we got to start locking the door. So you know what I did? I started locking the doors. Because I'm a good husband. I try to do what she tells me. And so one night, you know, I locked the door. She asked me right before we went to bed, baby, did you lock the door? I said, yeah, sweetie, I locked the door. So, you know, we get to bed. Somewhere in the middle of the night, she wakes me up. She wakes me up out of a dead sleep, and she says, baby, somebody's in the house. I'm trying to rub my eyes. I'm trying to get focused. I'm thinking, of course, there's nothing in the house. I, I, I lean up on one elbow, and I listen Almost, both of us were almost holding our breath, and it was apparent somebody was in our house. No doubt about it. So I got up out of the bed. I walked around to the bedroom door. I looked down this long hall that goes into the kitchen, and sure enough, somebody's standing in my house. No joke, somebody's standing in my house. Now, I don't have a gun. I didn't even have a bat. My knife, I, had, I got some knives in, a, in the in a drawer in the room where the robber is. I mean, you know, I got nothing. The only thing I had was my big old fat body, and I thought, you know what, it's been a while, but I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good. <laughs> Sing it with me. It's got a good beat. Anyway, so in, in this moment of panic, I guess, I did something. I don't even know where it came from. In, in this weird voice, I said, what are you doing in my house? I almost got tickled at myself. I thought, where did that come from? Did you think the voice would scare them? That they would run out in terror? I mean, this was crazy. So what I decided to do was I'm going to run as fast as I can. And when I get to them, this ain't my first rodeo, I'm going to leave my feet. I've never done like the Superman hit kind of thing, but this is what I'm doing. Never done it before, but I said, I got a big old fat body, I'm going to use it. And so I start running down the hall as fast as I can run. And when I get almost to this dark silhouette, I hear this voice. It was Katie's voice. She said, Dad. Immediately, I tried to put on the brakes. Did I mention that we have hardwood floors? And did I mention I was wearing socks? <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I tried to stop. I watched my feet go above my head. So help me. I hit the floor and slid up into a wall. My sweet wife is running down the hall, and she is just chewing Katie out. What are you doing? Why, you know, and she's just chewing Katie out. Katie had two friends with her, ran out of the house. I said, baby, go get your friends. She went out. They wouldn't come back in the house. They said, what we know is your dad, your dad will protect his family. Listen to me, guys. There is this warrior thing in you. It's there. When the heat is on, you're a warrior. But it's more than physical protection. I believe that my call is to protect my wife spiritually, not just physically. And I will give my life for my family. Do not misunderstand. 
Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? How much does he love us? That he gave his life for it. He was willing to fight. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present himself as a radiant church without any stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I believe that with all of my heart, my, my job, my responsibility as a man, my responsibility as a husband, my responsibility as a dad is to love my family and to do everything I can to protect them spiritually. Now, for me, that means that the, every morning, somewhere between 4.30 and 5 o'clock, I'm praying for my family. And I have a very specific prayer that I pray for my family. There's things I've been praying for Karen for years. One of the things I pray for is to protect her, literally. I said, God, she's beautiful. I mean, I know there are men out there. Have mercy. I love it. To, I like to be with her because they look at her and I go, I'm the man. She's going home with me, chump. I'm the man. But it's more than just praying for God to protect her. It's more than that. Said, I don't ever want to do anything that will lead her spiritually astray. Listen, look at me, guys. Your wife's not the spiritual leader of your home. You've been called to protect your family and to, to protect them spiritually. And there's times when we as men have to stand up and say, this, this is what God's called us to do. We use truth, and we, we bathe them with truth. We pray truth over our families, and we fight for our families spiritually. We say we will not give up. I could almost get passionate about that. I also want to protect her, and I want her to feel protected financially. One of the things that I have learned over the years that women generally value is the sense of financial security. And ladies, you may be different, but I certainly know that financial security has been a big deal for my wife. So I want to lead our family to always pay the bills and to have a little bit of margin left over. And let me just say, there have been times when it was a teeny, weeny, weeny, weeny bit of margin. Somebody reminded me yesterday, they said, I remember when my wife and I first got married, I got a $40 allowance. I said, wow, your wife's generous. Like, I got 10. And then that had to fill up the gas tank. I'm just kidding. Well, actually, I'm not. So we've worked hard. We have worked hard together, and we fought hard together to get out of debt. And so to get out of debt, you know what you have to do? Sometimes you have to... You have to say thing, no to things. That's, you know, it's, just, it's just no. Things that we wanted. Some, some, listen, sometimes things that we think we need. And, and just so you don't know what the difference is, you should, visit, you should go to Guatemala with us. You should go to a third world country. And then I'm telling you, you'll come home needing a lot less. Sometimes that was delayed gratification and sometimes it was just no gratification. Things that we said no to that we never got. But some of the things that, you know, that we were led to say no to wasn't no forever. It was just no for now. And God has blessed Karen and I. Oh, my gosh. There's nobody in this room that feels more blessed than she and I do. 
And we talk about it on a regular basis of the, the things that we have, but it's not that. The relationship that we have with our kids, our relationship, we don't take those things for granted, but we fought for it. So God has given you somebody to protect physically, spiritually, financially. And then last, God has also given you a kingdom to advance. Hang on. He's giving you a kingdom to advance. Luke chapter 9, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Some of y'all Baptists are nervous, going, oh, he's going Pentecostal on us. I bet they're going to have a healing service in a minute. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And to heal the sick. Ben, look at me. We have a kingdom to advance. We're told in Matthew 6.33 that we're to seek first what? The kingdom of God. We're to seek what? I can't hear you. We're to seek the kingdom of God. It didn't say our kingdom. It didn't say the kingdom that we want to build. It didn't say the, the empire that we're interested in investing in. It said that what we are to invest in is to the, invest into the kingdom of God. Then when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said this. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow. We have a kingdom to advance. Honestly, I've been praying for the last couple of weeks. Lord, what do you want me to say right here? What, what, am, I, what am I supposed What's the thing? I wonder how many of our country's ills could be healed if we as men would consider the power of advancing God's kingdom. What's been going on in our country? I've got to be honest with you. Over the last couple of weeks, it's, I've, just, I've wrestled with it. I've said, what can we do? This racial tension, this thing that exists. You, have to, you, have to, you don't know me that well, but, but I want to get together with a group of people, and I want to come up with a plan. What is the plan? How do we do this? How do we advance? Is it, is it a program? I mean, what do we do? How do we cure the problem that we're experiencing right now? And you know what? Here's what has here's what just hit me like a ton of bricks. What I want you to do is I want you as men to advance my kingdom. What would it look like if Christian men began to love like Jesus loves? What if we as men took our responsibilities seriously and we loved our families and we taught our families how to love people that are different than us? Guys, do you realize that your Savior is a Jew? That he has brown skin? It's not white? That Jesus is not a, not a blue-eyed, fair-skinned, blonde-headed male, but that he was a Jew? Not a half-Jew, a full-blooded Jew. I don't know how is it that white, is, white America can forget such things as that. And it's time for we as men that we fought to advance the kingdom. What does that mean? That means when you see something that's wrong, it's time to step up. It's time to stand up. It's time to stand in the gap. 
for people who have been mistreated unfairly. It's time that we as warriors stood in the gap and said, enough is enough. It's not going to happen on my watch. I won't allow it. your contribution. It's your ministry. You're called by Jesus to be the light of the world. You may be the brightest light. You may be the only light in your office. Boy, it was good. I started with Nehemiah, wasn't it? Because you're like, go get him, preacher. Nehemiah wasn't a preacher. He was a builder. And Nehemiah took the gifts that God gave him the abilities that God gave him, the learning that God gave him in the secular world, and he took that and he applied it to spiritual principles and he did something incredible for the kingdom of God. That's what he did. We've been called to use our influence in the world, not just in the church. Here's here's where it gets tough, though. It gets tough when you say, you know, I'm ready to slay the giant. And then the car goes in the shop. The hot water heater springs a leak. The HVAC goes out on the hottest day of the year. That's when it gets tough. In other words, you know, it, it's, when, it's when life happens. And when life happens, then we have to fight other things, right? You've got to fight the repairman. You, you've got to fight taking on another job to pray for the repairs that you couldn't afford. And sometimes, i I got to read this, sometimes the battle can be overwhelming and way too futuristic at times. I was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and, and we're talking about debt, and I said, you know what, it's, I think the hardest thing for, for families to do is to wrap your head around a 30-year mortgage. If you're 20, 25 years old, 30 years old, when you think about a 30-year mortgage, you're thinking to yourself, I'll never see that sucker paid off, right? It's, it's a fight that's way too off in the distance, we're not comfortable with fights that are way too off in the distance. What we want is we want something, we want a one and done. We, we want victory, but more times than not, being faithful is being faithful day by day. One day at a time. We want to slay the giant. Cut off his head and go back to work. It's not always that simple. Being a faithful husband is a day in and day out thing. I don't prove to my wife I love her by just saying it every day. I prove to my wife I love her by day in and day out being faithful. By her seeing me work hard to provide for. I learned I'm one of the greatest things I ever did for as a husband to be a good father to love my kids you generally don't get out of debt all at once unless you win the lottery I guess and then you should tie 20% 
You know how you get out of debt? By having a plan and sticking to it day in and day out, month in and month out, and sometimes year in and year out before you see the victory. So, so men, I have to ask you this question. What's your battle? What's your battle? What's the battle that you're in right now? You're in one. I know you're in one because you're human. I'm in one. What's your battle? I want you to think through it and I want you to name it. For some of you, it's time to take care of your body. You didn't see that coming, did you? What? What did he say? Yeah. How are you going to live long to be healthy, to provide for and to take care of your family? As a country, we're just fat. That didn't come out real spiritual. I think you know what I mean. And, and seriously, I'm not kidding. Maybe you felt God just nudging you toward just getting in shape, cleaning up that diet. For some of you, it's time to eliminate debt. It's time to do something about it. It's time to be financially free. For some of you, honestly, look at me. As a man, you've been way too passive spiritually. You've been letting your wife, you've been letting her be the spiritual leader of your home. You do it together. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Karen and I do what we do. We do it together as a team. She's the opposite of me. We balance each other out. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and I depend on her, and she depends on me. And we do it, and we lead, and we lead together. But you have to be willing to spend time with Jesus. You can't lead your family if you're not listening to God. And it's time for maybe you as a man to swallow your pride and to raise your hand and say, I don't know how to hear from God. Then let some godly men teach you. Some of us are are being crushed by lust. Some would say it's every man's battle. Here's what I want you to know, that there are spiritual weapons with which to wage war against the forces of darkness. Those of you would say, there's a battle. I can name it. It's a battle for my family. It's a battle for my my wife and my kids. It's, It's physical. It's financial. I got a battle. And I just need to be honest. I just need to be, you're in a safe place. And would you be brave enough to slip up your hand and say, Scott, would you pray for me? Thank you. My hand's up, by the way. I don't, I don't do this to sucker punch you. You know what I'm saying? Man, I, I, need, I need the accountability of men, godly men to be around that will encourage me and teach me. And I've got that. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Father, I just want to pray for these wonderful, beautiful men. Lord, we have some of the most incredible men in this church. I brag on them almost every day. I want other men to hang out with them. Not that they're perfect men, Lord, but they're men who have a heart for you, and they have that warrior's heart, and they're willing to fight. They're willing to fight for their own spiritual health, for the health of their families. 
Lord, for those of us who struggle, who have those battles that we're just, it's just, there's a war raging inside. And Lord, I pray in the sweet name of Jesus that right now you'll speak. Specifically to those men. Whisper in their ear right now, God. Say what you need to say. Hear their prayer. Honor their confession. Every head still bowed and every eye still closed. There's also another battle going on right now for some of you. You're not a follower of Jesus and there's a spiritual battle raging inside. And you know that that battle is real. I want you to know that Jesus was without sin. He died on the cross in our place. And God raised him from the dead. You know why? Because anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. If you're here this morning... And you're not a follower of Jesus. And you say, man, I feel that spiritual battle. I'm tired of the conflict. If you're ready just to surrender your life to the complete control of Jesus, and right there quietly in your seat, then pray this prayer. Say something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. And I'm weary. I'm weak. I'm wobbling. I need you. I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin. And from this day forward, I want to fully surrender my life to you. Lord, thank you for allowing me the privilege of speaking today. Help me to be the best warrior that I can be for you. To fight long and hard. Trusting in your strength. Knowing that one day, even if that day is not today, but that we will find victory. And it's in your sweet name that we pray.